Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip you with project-based learning tools today so you can engage and empower your students for the future. We are your hosts, Josh and Andrea, and this is our PBL Project Blitz series, where each month we highlight the work of awesome teachers in PBL classrooms. Every guest will share one of their favorite PBL projects, and we'll get a chance to discuss the impact of these projects on the students, the community, and our guests. We're glad you're here today. If you like the music you're hearing on our podcast, the band is called Attaboy and the song is Waking Up. Look for the link to their Spotify page in our show notes and on our episode webpage. We hope you find our guests as inspiring as we do. Game on! are back with another PBL Blitz episode. This month we are talking to Noah Klein, who is in Jefferson County Public Schools, which is um, a big partner with us at Magnify Learning. So Noah, will you introduce yourself to our listeners for those that haven't heard your previous interview and just talk about your background in education and PBL and what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, my name is Noah Klein. I'm an, an academic instructional coach uh, at a 6 through 12 school in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I started my career as an English teacher. I did that for seven years before transitioning to uh, becoming a resource teacher. I I had a small stint back in the classroom, and then I'm a resource teacher once again. Uh, I've been practicing uh, PBL or helping coach PBL for about seven years at this point. Uh, It started with just a random training that I attended, and I got inspired. Uh, Spent a lot of time learning and doing, uh, often in, in messy fashions, Uh, And then as of late, I have received my certification from Magnify Learning as a PBL certified facilitator. Awesome. Well, thanks again for for joining us, Noah. We're we're excited to have you and and excited um, to to hear about a project. So uh, you you have a project to share with us. Um, If you could kind of give our listeners just an overview of of that project. So, you know, talk about the standards, maybe the the driving question, entry event, community partner, you know, what the final product might have looked like, just to give um, our listeners a kind of a taste for what that project was, so then um, they can kind of get a picture for, for what you did in your classrooms. Sure. Um, so anytime somebody asks me to describe a PBL project, I kind of feel bad. I always go back to the very first one I did. Uh, I, I have other examples, but this is the one I really rest on. It's also my favorite. Um, so the driving question for it was, where does my food come from? So the background of this uh, was that I was teaching senior English uh, to students who uh, come from an underserved area of town. And a lot of them didn't really understand food literacy. Uh, Lots of them were college bound. And I remembered back to my time uh, going to college, how, you know, food is omnipresent, right? But if you're not food literate, when you go to university, uh, you don't know what you're getting. You may not know where it comes from. And I, I felt that that was probably something valuable for my students. Um, so we engaged in the project. The major standards were, of course, my English ones. Uh, we had speaking and listening standards. Uh, we spent a lot of time in argumentation, a lot of time in research. Um, we also sp- spent a lot of time in informational writing. Um, but to make it more cross-curricular, uh, I dipped I talked to the math teachers in my building and a lot of what they were finding was that 
my, my students didn't have a good grasp of ratio and proportion, which is not a senior standard, but it was related to the standard they were working on. So I incorporated that into my project. I felt that that was something I could teach pretty well, even though I'm not uh, great at math. <laughs> um, and then I also included uh, COSA standards, so the culinary arts standards. Um, I, you know, to, at this point, because they've changed, I really don't remember what they specifically were, but I was able to connect them. So we started off uh, in an entry event. Uh, I had a young child at the time. I think she was she was probably one, uh, maybe even less so. Uh, and I remember the horrible experience of making baby food because we made all our baby food. And then I thought to myself one day, if I'm doing a project about food, uh, why am I making baby food? Well, I'm in control of everything, right? I can control where it comes from. I can control the ingredients, whatever. What a great way to introduce my kids to where their food comes from. So I went out and bought a bunch of jarred uh, baby banana food, made a whole bunch of homemade baby uh, or banana baby food and had them taste test it. They didn't know which was which. And based on test alone, taste alone, they had to say which was the best product based on economics, health value um, and uh, environmental impact. Uh, if you've never made seniors in high school taste baby food, it's the absolute best. Uh, so we started off by having them work, uh, you know, through an argument just at the beginning, right? Which one was the best? Why do you think that? Uh, so we introduced it that way. Uh, and then we started really getting into the meat of it. So thinking through scaffolds and benchmarks, I knew that my students needed a lot of work on research. I knew that that was a skill they were lacking. And again, because so many of them were college bound, I wanted to spend a lot of time there. Uh, before I could do that, though, we had to talk about informational literacy and how to really uh, dive into informational reading. Uh, so we spent a lot of time uh, researching and doing informational reading strategies at the same time. I tried to double dip just because of time. And in terms of benchmarks, a lot of it was just graphic organizers uh, or me attempting to uh, communicate with them and talk and conference with them in ways where I could see that they understood the connection between where they were and where they were going. And so a lot of the time was spent just getting them to understand all the things about food. So we talk about organic versus not sourcing and why it matters. I realized very quickly, once I had this shell that I needed community partners, it was something that I uh, was fairly literate in, in terms of food. I had spent a lot of time. My dad's a good cook. I knew this stuff, uh, but I was not an authority by any means. Uh, so my first partner that I found uh, was a restaurant uh, chef owner at a local restaurant just down the street from me. And she agreed to come on the project as both a consultant, but also uh, to be in her restaurant, she would allow the final uh, prize winner, their recipe to go on the menu because the students, and I guess I should have mentioned this before, what they were asked to do was to create their own recipe that was arguably the best based on health value, economics, um, and, and environmental impact. So the restaurant owner said that that recipe could go on her menu. I also got, got in contact with uh, several local farmers and grocers uh, to act as consultants in the project around sourcing and also around just the impact of different types of farming. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time just scaffolding in experiences either through video or reading or with these partners to kind of level up, if you will, my students' understanding of all the impacts of food, uh, both on the body and on the world. So fast forward to the end, they've done all these projects, they've learned the math for ratio and proportion so they can make their recipes, they could talk about cost. Uh, and ultimately they had to go through trials. So before they were even allowed to present their recipe, they had to uh, basically earn the right. I didn't have time for, the, for my uh, community partners to see every group of students. Uh, so the first round, 
they got scored. I pulled on uh, teachers in my building to help me with the scoring. So it was by committee. Uh, it was blind in that uh, they didn't know who was coming in the room that day. And so we tried to make it as fair as possible. The rubric was presented to the students beforehand. And before they could even present that, they had to have several uh, trial runs with me, right? I wanted to make sure the best first, the best possible product was put up first. Uh, the top five from my class <clears throat> and the top five from uh, my co-teacher's class made it to the final round where they presented to the grocer, the farmer, uh, the restaurant owner. We had our assistant superintendent, my principal, academic coach, uh, just as many people as we can get around the table to, to act as uh, this uh, committee. And then the winner actually got their recipe at, at the restaurant. Uh, she brought the kids in, put a knife in their hand, had them cook it. It was a week long uh, special that ran. It actually was a hot ticket item apparently. Um, and so th the two girls that won, uh, they still email me every so often and just talking about how they remember uh, getting to have a chef's knife in their hand in a restaurant, right? Something they never want. They don't want to be cooks. It's not an aspiration, but it was still a kind of a cool real world uh, application for them. I will um, be looking for any way to incorporate having my kids eat baby food in my class. So thank you for that uh, tip. Uh, I think, you know, we talk about um, how we can tell that students are impacted. I think one of those ways is just having a kid who has graduated or has moved on come back and say, oh, I still remember this project. And a lot of times it's not the content, right? It's that, oh, I remember that experience and um, getting to be a part of that. So what, what other ways were you able to see that um, there was a big impact on your students, not just those kids that won, but your, your classes in general? Well, there's always the qualitative measure, right? Um, I had a wonderful group of students that year who everybody agreed were wonderful, uh, but also, shall we say, a handful. Uh, I didn't have problems with them, right? I did this project kind of middle end-ish of the year, so I knew their personalities, um, and they were outside of, you know, the couple of little knuckleheads that we always have every year, right? Um, they they were in. Uh, qualitatively, they walked in and they were excited. They, they, they were self-starting, they were feeling agentic, and they were working towards the end. So, I could see it. There was a buzz. There was an energy. Um, but I understand too that qualitative measures are um, great and also not enough. <clears throat> so uh, the best source of evidence I actually have is at the end of the project, I gave what amounted to a satisfaction survey. Uh, you know, I asked questions like, what did you learn? How do you know? Where do you feel like you grew? What questions do you still have? But I also asked for uh, feedback on how I could make that project better. And by and far, the feedback was pretty simple things about like how I presented material. And when it came to the satisfaction, ultimately, I had them uh, scale it on a Likert scale. How much did you enjoy doing this? Uh, I think it was from zero to 10. I averaged 8.1. Um, I had them, you know, on a scale of one to 10. How much do you think you grew or learned? Uh, that was, I think, around a seven. Um, and then I also asked the question because again, at the end, I had a lot of kids going off into real life, whether that was college or not, how much do, has this project helped you, um, be more prepared? And, and that was something at around an eight or nine again. Um, and so th those quantitative measures really allowed me to, to understand that they didn't always love the project in the moment, right? It, it, it was a struggle. It was a type of learning they had never engaged in before, uh, but it mattered and, and, and there was impact. Um, and you can also see it in the grades. Uh, I had a lot of students who previous to the project, uh, if not failing, were struggling. You know, there was an engagement problem. It was the first year I'd ever taught seniors. I was learning too. 
and their grades during that project skyrocketed. Um, and I am not an easy grader. I didn't take it easy on them. You know, everything was rubriced as I always do. Every, everything required revision as I always have. Um, so my expectations did not change. Matter of fact, I think I probably got harder um, and they rose to the occasion. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think, you know, uh, those of us who've been in education a long time understand that kids will rise to the expectations that you set for them. If you set the bar low, they're going to rise to that lower bar. And if you set the bar high, certainly um, they have the, the ability to, to meet that goal. So talk a little bit about how this project impacted your development. I mean, so this, this sounds like it was in your first year. So how did it impact your development as a, as a PBL facilitator? What did you learn or, or take away from this process that you used in, in creating and planning future projects? The first time you do anything, right, that's the benchmark. Um, and I have in my life done very little where the first time I did it, I actually saw success, you know, to, to this level. I, I know that I planned a lot for this. Um, I had gone through a, a year long cohort of training, so I knew I had some backbone. But I did not expect to see the results I did. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take away from the work that I did, but what I realized is when we just reframe the way we present the same old stuff to the kids, uh, it matters. And it definitely lit the fire for me as a PBL facilitator. Uh, you know, I did several more projects over the years. Um, I love it. I see over and over kids who don't typically engage, uh, gauging in a really, not even a passive way, right? It, it's an authentic engagement to it. But one of the things I also noticed is that this project showed me how even in traditional instruction, little shifts make a huge difference. So I uh, remember very vividly uh, when I was using no and need to know lists or, or anything of the sort that first year, what tremendous uh, information I got and how that completely changed the way I taught. From then on, every year afterwards, whether or not I was doing PBL or I was doing uh, traditional instruction, I was using no, no and need to know lists. Um, I realized the power in that first project of working with small groups and really um, finding ways to personalize. In PBL, in this first project, everyone I've done after them, it, you plan for it, it becomes part of it based on either the, the groups for the project or the way they're pre um, performing on, on their benchmarks. But I realized that as my, uh, even when I'm doing traditional instruction, the more I can personalize, the more I can group, uh, it made tremendous difference. And for me, that has been where I've continued to try to grow myself based on those lessons. I, I, will lo I love PBL. I'd strive to do it whenever I can. I've had a lot of students who it's not the best thing for them, but there are elements of it that I can bring into practice. Um, it's my favorite because it re this project's my favorite because it reframed the way I think about teaching and learning. Uh, and so whether it's PBL or traditional instruction, I just really tried to remember the lessons, of, you know, almost seven years ago um, and, and bring them to bear today. Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, and I think that, you know, we want our kids to continue to learn and grow, but as facilitators, we're always learning and growing as well. And so even when we knock one out of the park, like getting that feedback from your students and even the little things that we can change. Um, so on that note, um, if you were to do this again, or if you did do it again, um, based on your own reflection yourself and the feedback that you got from your kids, what are some ways that you would improve or change this project to take it even to the next level? The, the biggest thing I learned looking back uh, is I over scaffolded and under benchmarked. 
Um, I, I did that, I think, for perfectly reasonable reasons. That's redundant. <laughs> um, but um, I, I felt that my kids, because they had never had an experience like this, uh, they were coming, as so many students do, behind in prior skills that I needed to do that. I don't know that it was the wrong move. I think I could have scaffolded a little less and benchmarked a little bit more and it would have been okay. And I think the kids would have uh, had far more productive struggle that would have made even bigger impact for them. Um, the other thing I would have done is I think I overguided the direction. Um, I, again, I think that came as a result of me being, having doing, doing it for the first time. And so I wanted to have as much control as possible. Looking back, I think I would have kept the recipe thing. I think that would have stayed really um, relevant to the restaurant, but I don't know that I would have told them the elements they needed to look for directly. I, I think I would have maybe stripped that back a little bit, uh, let them do some investigation and research into what makes food, uh, what it is when, and how we get it and what it looks like. I think I would have let them do a little bit more discovery and a little less guidance. Awesome. I, I mean, ultimately, this sounds like a, a pretty awesome project and one that certainly has um, allowed those students to have me a memorable and, and meaningful learning experience. So as we kind of think about wrapping up the episode, you know, we've got listeners who are just starting their PBL journey, and we've got some who've been on it for a while. We've got administrators, we've got coaches. So if, if you could just give those, those people who are in the, in the thick of PBL and working on it a little bit of advice, what, what would you share with them today? I feel that the best piece of advice that was given to me when I started is the piece of advice that I give uh, to anybody I coach uh, or, or facilitate with is just let go. It, planning is more important probably in PBL than in traditional instruction. There's a lot of um, just scaffolding for yourself, setting up the pieces and, and making sure you have a path, uh, which also helps your kids have a path and it helps pull back the veil and all the things around teacher clarity, which are good. Um, but once you have that set up, that is just a, a guide. Those, those, that's kind of the, you know, the the field goal, if you will, I can, I can kick a field goal and it doesn't matter where it goes as long as it goes in. And I can say the same is probably true with PBL. Um, if we let the kids guide, we, we push them in the direction we need them to go and let our, you know, and let go as much as we can. Uh, the product is just better. The kids that I have experienced over the years where I just let go, unless I absolutely have to push on them, have more success academically. They are far more engaged. They ask better questions. They become more productive outside of, out of the, my four walls. They start asking great questions to other teachers, right? They, they learn a whole lot of skills um, because I let them learn the skills. We don't know what we don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, and sometimes the best path towards discovery is to screw it up and then learn through it and then uh, use it later. I think that's some really powerful advice and really goes to the idea of allowing kids to rise to a higher bar because they will. Um, so if you liked what you heard from Noah today and you want some more awesome advice from him, he joined us way back in season two, uh, episode six, where he talked about some instructional coaching. So if you haven't been along with us for that long and you want to check out that episode, um, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this project. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Ready, break.
Thanks again for joining us for the PBL Playbook, where we broke down the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet us at at AskGeebs, at MissB103, or at MagnifyLearning, or you can email us with any PBL questions, thoughts, or ideas you have at pblplaybook at magnifylearningin.org. Also, be sure to show us some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL playbook with other educators. Uh